Two weeks ago, Joshua and I preached a sermon together talking about how we roll as a church with lots of various opinions and beliefs. And uh, we're using this metaphor of buckets, the first bucket, first bucket issue. We stole this from a preacher named uh, uh, David Platt, who has a, a large church in Washington, D.C., and he's a, a best-selling author. And I thought he had a really good grid for this. Um, the first bucket are, are the, the core essentials of the faith that unites all believers everywhere. Um, belief of deity, of deity of Christ and salvation through Christ alone and, and of the authority of Scripture. Things like that. That's very core. Then we have uh, second bucket issues, which are things that we unite a, uh, around. Um, and uh, we'll get back to that in a second. And then third bucket issues, which are not unimportant things. They're just things that don't fit in those. And, uh, and which believers of, of goodwill can disagree on. Uh, that would include things like political beliefs, a lot, lots of theological interpretations, um, etc. And uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to do, we're going to describe a particular second bucket issue uh, for us here at Christ Center. It's something that not every uh, church or every denomination emphasizes, um, but we do, and we, we do because we deeply identify with this. It's, it's a part of who we are. It's it's a part of our DNA. And we've talked about this in a hundred different ways in the past, but we thought it was a, a really good time here this summer to spend uh, four weeks here to focus on, on this thing. And, uh, and here's, here's the statement. We are a gospel movement church. We're a gospel movement church. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a definition. Let's pull that up. A gospel movement church is a united, holistic sustainable effort by the citywide church to seek the peace and prosperity of their city. Now, for the next four weeks, we're going to be unpacking this idea. Next week, Steve and Patty are going to, to be speaking. They're going to be team preaching, which is, we always love when that happens. That's super cool. Uh, and they're going to bring us some uh, uh, encouragement of, of the light that is being shed around our cities and our, our valley, and also paint a vision to see this increased in, in workplace and, and in more uh, areas. That's going to be really cool. And then after that, Joshua is going to come and show us some, some uh, uh, case studies from around the world where there's a, a, a gospel movement going on in various cities around the world to see the, the beautiful things that God's doing. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lay out some theological concepts um, that I think are foundational for this vision and this movement. Uh, and it starts with the reference that's at the very end of that, uh, that definition we just read, uh, the church seeks the peace and the prosperity of their city. Now, this is a reference to uh, uh, Jeremiah 29, which we, at, we went through this story. We did the whole background of Jeremiah 29 a couple of months ago in a sermon. And uh, so this is going to be review. But very briefly, let me just remind you of the background. Jerusalem had been attacked and was on the verge of being completely destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And after one of these attacks, Nebuchadnezzar deported about 3,000 people. He forcibly removed them from Jerusalem. Now, they had to march 600 miles to the city of Babylon. It's a really, really tough thing. Um, and Babylon was exceedingly rich and exceedingly pagan. Now, they left their city basically in ruins or on the verge. It hadn't been completely destroyed yet, but it was going to be. And when they arrived, they would have very likely had to pass through this thing, this very famous entrance 
to the city called the Processional Way. And it was a magnificent piece of architecture that's been reconstructed for modern, modern museums. Mark, can you just run those pictures here uh, while I read this? This is uh, what this would have looked like uh, and it has been sort of uh, pieced together in modern museums. The Processional Way, which has been traced to a length of over 800 meters, extended, that's a half mile, well, extended from the north, from north of the Ishtar Gate and was designed with brick relief images of lions, the symbol of the goddess Ishtar. She was the war goddess. There was also the dragon of Marduk, the lord of the gods, and the bull of Adad, the storm god. Worshipped as the mistress of heaven, Ishtar represented the power of sexual attraction and was thought to be savage and determined. Symbolized by the star and her sacred animal, the lion, she was also the goddess of war and the protector of ruling dynasties and their armies. So just imagine you're a defeated person. You've just walked 600 miles knowing that your city has basically been destroyed. You're removed from the people that you've ever known in your whole life. You are totally defeated and you thought your God was going to protect you. You thought you were one of the chosen people. You're never going to go down. And now... Not only have you been defeated, you have to march through this stuff. It would have been so incredibly deflating. And this this signs of overpowering might. It would have had to be the most depressing and frightening moment you could imagine. Now these exiles, you can pull that down now. These exiles were forced then to go into the city and to settle and to build a new life now uh, in, in the city and, uh, and, and around the city of Babylon. And they were probably huddled together in communities at this time, not quite sure what happens next. What many of them did is they just, you know what they did is they, <laughs> they subscribed to the prophets' newsletters, the prophets who were saying, these guys are going down. Babylon, thus saith the Lord, Babylon is going to fall. We're going to rise up against them. We're going to still defeat them. We're going to take them down. This is what's going to happen. And they're fully leaning into that and believing that. And then finally, they get a letter from the only honest prophet left in Judah. His name was Jeremiah. And he broke their hearts with this letter. The same letter, by the way, that we take a snippet out and give for graduations. This particular letter would have actually been incredibly sad to receive. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 8. There's a preamble and then there's a letter, okay? These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, The craftsmen and metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa and the son of, man, I was doing so well, Shaphan and Gamariah and the son of Hilkiah and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, here's what the letter said. There's a reason I read that. I'll get back to that. Here's what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. He goes on to say, don't listen to the prophets who are telling you otherwise. The Lord has not spoken to them. He has not sent them. In 70 years, he says, you'll be able to return to Jerusalem. But guys, that's a long time away. And most of them would have been long dead by, that, by then. This would have been a bitter pill to swallow. Not only was God not going to rescue them, as the prophet said, but it would have also been a bitter pill because now he's telling them, you are not allowed to treat Babylon as your enemy. You have to now pray for Babylon. You have to now work in Babylon on, for the welfare, not only of the other exiles, but for these people who have been your enemies. That is a difficult thing to hear. And this, you guys is the attitude that we take on in a gospel movement church. We take on this. We seek the welfare of the city where God's called us, and we pray to the Lord on its behalf, just like we're doing with one church one day. That's the attitude we take. In many ways, we are exiles in Babylon. We've been called, though, to a very active role, and that active role is to bless the city and to not view our neighbors as our enemies. In other words, there's not a them out there and an us in here. We are part of our community. And when the community is blessed, we are all blessed. So at Christ Center, a gospel movement church, just to reset the pieces here, a gospel movement church, we see ourselves as one part of a united, holistic, sustainable effort by a citywide church to seek the peace and prosperity of Junction City, of Eugene, of Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Springfield, and the Willamette Valley. This is a core piece of who we are. Now let's unpack this a little bit more. There's another description of gospel movement that, that people use, and it goes like this. A gospel movement happens when the whole church takes the whole gospel to the whole city. The whole church takes, takes the whole gospel to the whole city. I like this one because it's very easy to remember. Let's look first at the whole church. What do we mean by that? First, it means that I'm going to take a sip of water because my throat is very dry. There we go. Are you still with me? Okay. I know we're, we're trudging through a lot of stuff here. Jesus wanted his church to be whole, to be united. And he made this very, very clear. Let's read John 17, uh, starting at, at verse 20. I, I think we've read this many times in the ESV and the NASB and different things, and it has a very circular feel. So let's look at Peterson's uh, translation uh, in the, or his paraphrase in the message. He says this, I am praying not only for them, this is Jesus talking about his disciples, not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and one mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us, 
then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me the same glory you gave me. I give them so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved me in the same way you've loved me, or loved them in the same way you've loved me. Isn't that beautiful? Now, who is Jesus talking about? Well, he tells us the disciples, but also those who would, who would come to know Jesus because of them and all of those generations. Guys, he's talking about, he's talking about us. The followers of Jesus who would know because of the disciples. He's talking about us. Unity was a huge priority for Jesus. A huge priority. And it was a huge priority for the rest of the New Testament. Look at this, what Paul says in Ephesians 4. This is another one that we just read recently. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We unite around one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And when we do that, beautiful unity happens. Galatians 3, Paul says this, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not tearing down those categories, he's saying there's something above them. And that is our identity in Christ himself. We unite around one Savior, friends. Now, this is not a new thing. You know this. We've, we've said these things many times. The reason we're bringing this up is because this, it, we, I just really want to make this plain. This is a huge priority for Jesus. And sometimes, nowadays, I'm not sure that we see what a big deal this actually is. It's a huge priority. The people sitting next to you might have very different third bucket issues, right? But you are one in Christ. You are one in Christ. Now, if that's true, we, we might say, yes, I know that's true here. But that's also true outside of here. The others that follow Jesus that might have very different second bucket issues than you do. The people who might believe very different things theologically, different ways that they interpret the scripture. Am I saying that those things don't matter or that there isn't truth in them? No, of course not. No, I, I have my own opinions and beliefs too. But we worship around one savior. What I'm saying is that I think, I believe that if a church does not know how to work with other churches, does not know how to mix together with them, does not know how to pursue the good of the city with other churches and doesn't do that, then they're walking in disobedience. That's what I believe. I think it's that much of a priority. Here's what Jesus says quite plainly, that we rally around this thing. Unity is a huge priority. So when we say the whole church, we're talking about not only people inside this building, we're talking about the whole church, okay? Now we're gonna get back to that point. So we said the whole church takes the whole gospel. What do we mean by this? 
Well, we mean not part of the gospel. Not a narrow part of it. Oftentimes, I think, when in, in modern times in, where we are, I think sometimes when we, we talk about the gospel, people have meant like the gospel of salvation, like, you know, you pray a prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die, and they've called that, that is the gospel. Um, oddly enough, this was never the strategy of Jesus or his disciples or of the early church, actually. In fact, the thing we call the sinner's prayer is a relatively new development in the church. It wasn't even popularized until the 20th century. Now, what happened, people took Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart uh, and you'll be saved and, and sort of made that into a specific formula um, and uh, for, for people to pray when they meet Jesus. Now hear me, I'm not saying that it's invalid. There's been many, many people who have prayed that prayer when they meet Jesus and that's wonderful. We've used that many times here. But it is important to note that in Jesus' day and in the early church, this would have been a foreign concept because the gospel was something much, much bigger than a prayer that you pray. The gospel was the good news. It was not a prayer. The gospel was an announcement that Jesus is king over over everything and that his kingdom is at hand. In other words, that the good news is that a new king has come. This is like the birth of a new Caesar. A new king has come and he's come to make all things new. Does that include our destination, our eternal destination? Of course. It includes that, but it's much bigger than that. It addresses life here and now. That's the good news. The gospel of the kingdom, then, is an invitation for us to join our king in a great reversal where all the broken things in our lives, all the broken things in our cities can receive peace, can receive the shalom of heaven, the wholeness that Christ offers. In other words, we're talking about holistic redemption for us and for our cities. Wherever there is brokenness, we believe the church, the United Church, is called to help to bring blessing. Not to take over, but to bless. How do we do that? Well, the best way to do that easily is to serve. The very best way to bring the gospel and to show people the love of Jesus is to serve our neighbors to help meet the needs of the city, especially the needs of, of the people Jesus prioritized, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the marginalized. There is no greater way to show the love of Christ than to serve these. So what does this mean then, the whole gospel? It means we serve with our hands and we speak with our lips. We bring the gospel in word and in deed. It's not a tug of war. It's both. Both must be present. And many times the thing that opens up the opportunity for speaking is in fact service. It's just that that natural human thing of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's really true. That's really true. So once again, the whole church takes the whole gospel. Where do they take it? To the whole city. So, Let's go back to Jeremiah 29. The letter, of course, is to those in exile, and I, I, think that's a, I think that's a pretty good metaphor for us today. Whether you live in Canada, whether you live here in the U.S., I have a friend that often streams from Mexico. Ryan, if you're watching, wherever you, wherever you live. Uh, 
um, you, we live in, in, in places that have a different value system than the kingdom of God. Some might be closer in some respects, but utopia is not coming. It's not coming through an economic revolution. It's, it's not coming uh, in any of those ways. Uh, uh, when, when Christ returns, his kingdom will fully come. So where are we? I think it's a good metaphor to say that we are exiles in a country that does not hold, well, again, wherever, whatever country you live in, we're exiles in a place that does not hold to the values of our home country. Now, some people have not loved that idea because they, they think it means that we should just sit back and do nothing and accept whatever happens. And I think that's not at all true. That's not what Jeremiah tells people at all. So we're going to look at this again. Before the letter even begins, Jeremiah tells us who he's talking to. Remember that long thing that we read that I was struggling through? It's a broad group. He mentions priests and prophets. He mentions craftsmen and metal workers. He mentions court officials. Men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were court officials working in the government. He's talking to all of these people and he tells them to huddle together and not go outside. He tells them to be, uh, excuse me, rather than telling them to huddle together and not go outside, he tells them to be proactive right where they are. So he says, go ahead and plant those gardens, guys. Go ahead and build those houses. Go ahead, raise families. Go ahead and excel wherever you are and whatever God's put in your hand. Seek the peace and the welfare of the city. So think of all the sectors of society that he's talking to. I'd never seen this until this week. It just made me super excited. Think about all the sectors he's talking to. He's talking to the religious sector, isn't he? The priests and the prophets. He's talking to people in government, isn't he? The court officials. He's talking to people in the arts, the craftsmen. He's talking to, to businessmen. He's talking to family. He's talking to every part of society, and he's telling these people, you Oh, exiles, I have called you to be a blessing in the city, wherever you go in the city. Whatever you're doing in the city, you bring the blessing of your home country. You bring the blessing of your father. You bring that DNA. He's called you to be different. So whatever it is that you're doing, take that. Take him with you. Take the love of Christ with you into the whole city, not only in here. I think back in the day, people were like, man, if we could only get people inside the doors of the church, then everything would be fine. Well, that actually never worked. Do you know you guys can reach people in your workplaces far better than I can, or Joshua can. I mean, it's great to try to bring them to church. I think that's wonderful. I think we should do that. But if we're putting, pinning all our hopes on that, we're sunk. The hope is that we all, wherever we go, take that DNA, we take that love of Christ into the whole city, not only into the ones that we already deem sort of sanctified. How far? How far does this stretch, the whole city? I love what the Christmas hymn says. I'm not going to sing it. But no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far ah, ah, as the curse is found. Isn't that a great verse? To bring blessing wherever the curse 
of sin, wherever the curse of corruption, wherever the sin of oppression has, has reached in our society, we take the blessing of Jesus to those places everywhere they exist. The whole church, the whole gospel, the whole city. That means, that means, friends, what, wherever you go, whatever your calling is, what, whatever places that you already exist Whatever sectors you work in, you, you have a beautiful part to play in this. We all do. Rather than warring against the brokenness, rather, rather than, than fighting against all of these things, we have a different option to bring a blessing. Or last year, Joshua did a great sermon on having the power to bless. We as God's people have not been given the, the power to curse you guys. We've been given the power to bless wherever we go. When you put all these elements together then, it's a big like holistic dream, isn't it? Like the body of Christ serving together, showing the love of Jesus in word and in deed in every part of the city. Does that sound a little grandiose? Kinda, huh? Because how many are in here? What do we got like maybe 200 people in here or something? I don't know. Janelle has a good nose for that kind of thing. Maybe. That's, that's not very much, is it? But see, this is, this is the beauty of what we're talking about. We are not the church. We're only one gathering of the church. We're only one little sliver of it. When Paul sent letters to the churches in the New Testament, he wasn't addressing them to specific congregations. He was addressing them to entire regions and cities. He was addressing all of the assemblies, whether they met in homes or whether they still met in synagogues or whether they met in meeting halls, however they gathered, he's talking to all of them, okay? So he would say things like, to all those who are in Rome who are loved by God or to the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi or the saints of the faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. He's addressing the church of, of the city. So if Paul was writing letters today, I... I feel bad saying this, but I don't think Christ Center would get a letter. I don't, think, I don't think he would say, dear Christ Center, great job on worship, Tyler and Nick and Josh and John. Great job. Children's ministries is so great. Janelle and Jason, you were so funny. I loved how Jason, you sent Janelle up three minutes early to, you know, like none of that would happen, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, although that's great. He, you know, we might want a letter commending our children's ministry. It'd be wonderful, but we wouldn't get it. Because we are only one little part of the body of Christ in the Willamette Valley. He would send probably a letter to the church of Eugene and the surrounding areas or a letter to the Willamette Valley. That's what I think. We are only one little assembly, you guys. And to me, that is such wonderful news because it's not on us alone. He hasn't put that weight on us alone. Remember the definition of church, the, the word for church in Greek is ekklesia, which means assembly. People are assembling around Christ this morning all over the valley. Thousands of people all over the valley are sitting, just like you guys are now, are sitting in worship, are sitting listening to the word, are sitting praying for one another. That is a beautiful, rich, wonderful thing. And right here in Junction City, we have brothers and sisters, we have people in our church that aren't actually with us this morning. Some of them are over at King's Grace, actually. 
You know, King's Grace is a, is a wonderful group. You know one of the things that, that King's Grace does? They work with people who have addictions and celebrate recovery. And they've been doing that for years and doing a wonderful job helping people overcome uh, uh, alcoholism and drug abuse. And we have people this morning also that aren't here because they're over at First B on 18th. Man, they do some beautiful things over at First B. They do, they do some awesome stuff working with the schools, mentoring. They're very, very involved in so many different things. You know why I like those guys? They're a part of our church. They're a part of our church. Are you with me? You know who else I like? Man, I like so many. I've often thought, if I couldn't gather here on a Sunday morning, where would I want to gather? And I don't even know the answer. But one, one of the ones that's always near the top of my list are my friends over at City, church, or First, City First Church over downtown Eugene. I love those guys. They're so cool. Like they, they're, because they're right down there, they're a whole bunch of like, uh, people that have a lot of needs. They don't, they don't have homes. They're dealing with addictions and all of these things. And they're literally right on their doorstep. So you know what our, our friends, our brothers and sisters do? They work with them. They, they try to meet their needs. They, they, they link up with people over at the mission. Hey, those are some other brothers and sisters at the mission that are supported by brothers and sisters all over the valley. I love what those guys do, meeting all these needs and looking to rehabilitate the people through their entire, their like whole life rehabilitation. I love those guys. They are a part of my church. On and on it goes. I love the people over at Ecclesia for so many reasons. I love their love for the word. I have such admiration for that. And I love how they work with every child. Every, we work with every child too. I love that they do that. I love that they're so involved in that. They're a part of my church. I love our campus ministers all over the place, man. Chi Alpha, Young Life. I love the churches that are involved in there. They do beautiful things. I don't know if anybody in this room works with them on a regular basis, but that's okay if you don't because people from my church do. People from your church do as well. Are you starting to get this? This is good news to me. I don't know about you. This is good news because God has not, owned, he's not given Christ Center some like, here's the very special secret sauce, Christ Center, okay? Here it is. None of the other ones get this. Guys, I love this congregation. I do. I love it. But we're not that special. Sorry. We're not. I mean, I kind of wish we were, but we're not that special. We're just regular folk who love Jesus who are doing the best we can. Those people that I mentioned are all part of our church. And I love them too. And you know what? They probably feel pretty awesome and pretty special being where they are too. And that's so appropriate and that's so beautiful. I want to end with a video that speaks for itself. One of these days, I want to do a video like that for our region as well. Hit it, Mark. Let me tell you about my church. My church is big. It's wide, it's full of variety and surprises. My church has more than 130 campuses in Teesside alone. We have campuses in the town centre. In the middle of one of the most deprived estates in the UK. We have campuses in the suburbs. We're on industrial estates. We probably have a campus just around the corner from where you live. Each campus of my church has a different expression of worship and community life. They vary dramatically in size, in style, in history, and in demographic. 
My church is energetic and sometimes has skinny jeans. My church is deep and reflective and sometimes the men wear dresses. We wave incense, we light candles. We dance around in worship and throw our arms up in the air. We eat bread and we drink wine. We splash heads and we dunk all the way under. My church is black and white and Asian and we are born in Teesside and Iran and Japan and Peru. My church is feeding the poor. We are battling drug and alcohol addiction. Fighting isolation and loneliness. We're building community. We fight death, unemployment, depression and hopelessness. We serve people in pain. And those who have a path. We are out on the streets. We are in schools, community centres and prisons. We run youth groups, kids clubs, jobs clubs and counselling services. We host drop-ins, women's groups and men's breakfasts. And a whole load of mums and toddlers groups. In my church, Jesus is our King. We aren't just a church building and we're not just open on Sundays. Jesus has us scattered all across Teesside. My church is in education and health and media and local government. My church is scattered like salt into every nook and cranny of Teesside. My church is like yeast working to transform our communities. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the church. We are the church. We have the same king, we have the same mission, and we are placed here in the same land. We are one church. 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 And we are transforming Teesside together. Isn't that amazing? I absolutely love that. I absolutely love it. And here's what I want to end on this morning. Here's what I want to end on. When I first came here, and I still hear this from people as they come in uh, and are fairly new, there's this sort of mantra. Oh, Oregon is such, it's such a dark place. Eugene is so unchurched. One of the most unchurched places in the country. Oh, you see they have voodoo donuts. (laughs) And I want to tell you guys, I just don't think that's true anymore, and I don't think that we need to be saying that anymore. I just don't. God's doing some incredible things in this community, and I am so thankful to be a part of it. And I'm so thankful that God has placed us in a body of Christ that does many beautiful things. And just because it doesn't show up on the nightly news doesn't mean it's not happening. The kingdom of God, it spreads like yeast in the whole loaf. And that's who we are. And that's who we are. Are you with me? Are you in? Are you in? All right, let's stand up.